everyone. Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Top Tottenham. There's lots on the agenda today as we look back at Tottenham's Carabao Cup defeat against Chelsea. We'll take a look inside Antonio Conte's transfer meeting at Tottenham and also the latest on Hugo Lloris's contract situation. Joining me as ever is Alistair Gold. Ali, I mean, despite the defeat last night, how are you doing? I'm all right. Yeah, a bit knackered. Pretty much how Antonio Conte looked in his press conference afterwards. Uh, very similar vibes going on. But uh, yeah, plenty of plenty for us at least to analyse and look into. And yeah, and the big matches don't let up either. So we've got lots to look forward to as well. Yeah, it's definitely a big week for Spurs coming up. Obviously, there's that North London derby on Sunday, Leicester away next week, and then Chelsea away. So there's certainly a lot for us to discuss. Well, let's start with the Chelsea game last night and then Antonio Conte's team selection. It's fair to say that it certainly uh, raised the eyebrows of a number of Tottenham fans. He made uh, a handful of changes. Matt Doherty, again, left wing back. Giovanni Lacelso got a start in the number 10 role with now Son Hyung Min due to his injury. Harry Winks was in the team instead of Oliver Skip. And then I think the big talking point was Pierre Luigi uh, Galini in goal instead of Hugo Lloris. What did you make of those changes? Yeah, interesting. <laughs> was the first <laughs> I think, you know, Tottenham's tweet about the team news had the team. And I had a photo of Harry Kane kind of looking like, oh, like surprised at it. And I think that kind of spoke for everyone. Um, Galini over Lloris was a big call. Um, it was. I mean, I don't know. I don't know about you, but I kind of, I just got this feeling across these two legs, almost like Tottenham never felt they could really beat Chelsea. I don't know. I just got that vibe. Whether that was from Conte himself, I don't know. He's been very clear about the levels between the clubs. And I don't know. I felt this second leg lineup, especially, was very much almost, oh, well, that's done. Let's kind of look towards the uh, North London derby and make sure we've got everyone fresh for that or a few faces fresh for that because you yeah, had the Lurie's decision, you know, having your club captain for a big semi final second leg sitting on the bench. And you also had. Matt Doherty as left wing back again, which I'm sorry, but it's an experiment that just, you know, if scientists were continually doing the same experiment and getting the same results, they'd stop doing it. They'd move on to something else. It's a bit like, I wonder whether, you know, the only thing I could think of is whether he's protecting Ryan Sessegnon because he feels he's going to have to play him on Sunday because Reglon might not be back. Um, again, another point to the fact that he feels Sunday would be maybe more important. And, I don't think probably Wink. I think Winks maybe has earned his chance. I'd probably say that's not one that's a big shock. Maybe, maybe Skip being on the bench. I'd kind of feel Skip's been one of Spurs' better midfielders, so maybe that's where you look at that decision. Lacelso, I get the impression he quite likes Lacelso, um, so probably he looked to him for a bit of creativity. Did he really bring it on the day? Probably not. Um, but yeah, the lineup was. It definitely was one that had us kind of scratching our heads a bit. Probably surprised myself as well, although I kind of predicted it was going to happen, not to blow my own trumpet, as it were, but that he'd go with the same three that played in the first leg, despite them looking very kind of... I don't know. I'd actually... This is the weird thing. I think first leg, they looked very shaky. 
Second leg, other than Jaffet Tanganga having another bit of a nightmare, I actually felt the defence held up quite well. It's just the irony of, I mean, maybe, you know, if you're going to look at it in a slightly cynical way, perhaps Chelsea would just, as I think I said, it weren't really getting out of first gear or needed to. So maybe that's more the reason. Um, I suppose Galini had to make a couple of decent saves, but yeah, it was a really weird mood around the club. Reef, strange air, like one of, uh, like, I don't want to use the word resignation because that sounds like something else, but a resigned air to kind of losing that game. I don't think the fans ever truly believed. I don't get the impression the players or even the manager did, which was a shame, especially for the, you know, what was it, 40, was it 45,000 or so that turned up on the night? Yeah, in terms of the team selection, I was surprised as well. I think everyone was surprised by the yeah, team he named. Couldn't understand Lacelso coming in because just for a bit of creativity in there, especially when Spurs switch formations in the re- first leg, they looked much more better than when they were in a three four three. Harry Wink starting wasn't surprised by that at all. That he deserves game time at the moment. Like you said, maybe would they have been better with Oliver Skip in there as well? Skip and Winks, maybe Hoiberg, the one to miss out. Doherty at left wing back, it, it just doesn't work, does it? Every time he gets the ball, it is literally cut inside on your right. Just so predictable. And Cesar Spilicueta yeah. just knew what he was going to do every single time. And it just slows down Tottenham. And then there was a couple of times when he was in a good crossing position, even on his right foot to swing it in and he just didn't take it. And like you, I think it's that simply down to the fact that Ryan Sessignon's had a number of injury problems since he's been at Tottenham. So given he started against Markham, if he started against Chelsea, then if he's needed against Arsenal from the off, if Regulan's not fit, three starts in a week, would he be able to handle that? So maybe Conte did have one eye on the Arsenal game, maybe. Uh, the Galini decision I just can't understand to be honest I just I just can't especially when Hugo's played the past two games in the cup as well the first leg and then the West Ham one like you said he's your club captain he's been so consistent this season it's a puzzling one to be honest I know Conte said pre-match the sky that he was basically resting Lloris uh, given the importance of the games coming up but is it really that much of a taxing position where he's going to be tired? I mean, he didn't play on Sunday against Markham, did he? No. So, well, that's, this is the thing, you know, you use the word rest there, and I understand that would be the way for maybe that Conte's looking at it, but like you say, he hasn't played since the first leg. And from what I understand, he wanted to play last night, Loris. Um, my initial, I had this grand theory where I initially thought, ah, it's Conte sending some kind of message, essentially saying, oh, you know, let's uh, let's put the alternative in and show the powers that be that, look, if this is what you want to be your kind of keeper in big games, um, then, you know, you're going to have this keeper. If not, then pay the big money and give Larissa a new contract. But as we're going to speak about later, that theory is not right <laughs> because that contract is is about to be done. So, um, yeah, it was, I don't, I mean, you know, I suppose we could talk about Galini's performance now anyway, but it was, um, I, I felt sorry for him in one aspect that, yes, as a goalkeeper, you're not likely to get much of a rhythm when you're coming in and out of games. And that's often the issue for a backup keeper. And what I would say was, 
He made a decent save early on, came out and denied Lukaku, made a good save later on, kind of diving to. He's quite unsighted as well, and it's a deflected shot from uh, Hudson Adoy, which he managed to push away. But the problem for goalkeepers, unlike any other position on the pitch, pretty much, is you only get remembered the key moments. And and the key moment for him, unfortunately, was the sight of him <laughs> running out like a basketballer trying to slam dunk a ball, completely missing the ball. And it was just like the ball just slammed into Rudiger's back, then back into the goal. And it's just like all three Chelsea goals in this tie were completely calamitous, you know, mistakes from Tottenham. First one was a poor pass given away, comes back to Havertz and it slams in off Sanchez. Second one was just Tanganga randomly heading the ball against Ben Davies and back into his own net. And then this one, which was Tanganga, unfortunately, again, losing his man. Rudiger being in that position where Galini's flapped away in the air and the ball's just hit him and gone in. It's like Chelsea just rocked up, not really having to do much. Because Spurs essentially beat themselves. Um, so, yeah. Do I think, if I'm going to be really brutal, do I believe that what we've seen of Pierluigi Galini, is he good enough to be the number one at Tottenham? Fortunately, on the evidence that we have, no has to be the answer. Um, but as I say, you know, the Laurie Steele is going to be sorted soon and Spurs do need to think about the future at some point. And, and for a man that I know Paratici is a big fan of Galini and he really felt this was going to be the guy for the long term. You know, I can't see it. I can't see it. Whether he still joins Spurs as a, as a backup, um, you know, we'll have to see. I think there was a, I think it's twenty appearances he has to make to make his move permanent. I think we're, we're up to about ten now. It's ten, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I'm not entirely sure whether that's twenty appearances or twenty Premier League appearances. My gut tells me it's probably appearances, but at this rate, I don't think unless there's an injury to Lloris, which of course we don't want. He's probably unlikely to make the 20, I'd, I'd say. Um, well, obviously, it depends how far they go in the FA Cup. That's probably going to be his main chance of, of matches. Um, and then, obviously, if he doesn't hit that 20 trigger, then Spurs have to make a decision. And oh, you're in that scenario where, what is it, about 12, 13 million to make it permanent. Is it worth that for a backup goalkeeper? It's a difficult one. Bearing in mind... Most of the time, Spurs' second goalkeeper is signed for like two million or three, you know, in Joe Hart's case. And I don't know whether that's 12 million that might go elsewhere. And it's, you know, I must stress, you know, I'm sure there are Galini fans out there. It's only based on what we've seen so far and, and just it hasn't shown enough, really. No, I'm not convinced either by what I've seen from him. I think, as you said, obviously he does need a consistent run in the team to obviously rediscover his best form, but he's just never going to get that while Hugo Lloris is at the club and you know playing so well. Uh, I think it was the home game against Paso Steve Ferreira in the Europe Conference League qualifier. Looked a bit shaky with the ball at his feet. That was the case last night as well, early on against Chelsea. Going back to the first group game away at Wren, he palmed one of the shots out for the second goal. Probably should have done better. I think he should have done a lot better for Vitesse's winning goal as well. So that ball wasn't 
right against the post. That was a couple of yards away from the post. They just looked like he maybe misjudged a bit, dived a bit late. I don't know. I've I've just not been convinced by him, and because I'm not convinced by him, I mean, are the three defenders in front of him convinced by him? Are they a bit shaky with him in goal? Maybe don't trust him as much as Larice. Obviously, there's there's got to be a good goalkeeper in there because he's was playing well for Atalanta and obviously Paratici's brought him to the club for a reason. But he just needs that game time and he's just not going to get it at Spurs. And for me, he's not the long-term solution for the number one. Could be a decent backup, but as you mentioned, that's a lot of money maybe to spend on the backup when there's certainly other pressing positions what needs sorting first. So I think he's a very popular guy in the squad, but obviously you don't pay money to have popular guys come in kind of thing. No, and I agree with you. I don't think he dominates his area. I think with Lloris, we're constantly seeing him barking out orders and he's very much, if Lloris comes out, Lloris comes out. He might miss it occasionally, but most of the time, those those defenders of confidence, he's going to get some kind of hand to it. Um, and yeah, I just haven't seen that with Galenia. And you're spot on about the footwork. The footwork in a team, you know, that obviously you want to recycle the ball quite quickly and whether that's a, a pinged crossfield ball from the keeper or whether it's a, a little quick short pass, he does look very nervous. Um, and I think he used to play outfield as a kid. I think he kind of converted to being a goalkeeper a little bit later, which makes it all the stranger. But um yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, maybe, you know, maybe we get another chance to see him at some point um, and, he, and he puts in a great display. But, yeah, I'm not convinced yet. What did you make of Tottenham's performance? Lens? I know you asked Conte in his post-match press conference and I think he says the performance was a lot better than the first leg. But obviously Chelsea overall deserved to go through. Would you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I think so. I think it was better than the first leg, but the bar was set so low in the first leg. It's like they didn't have to do much to be any better. I'd say they created more chances in this one. Um, you know, obviously, <laughs> the referee and officials seem to have inadvertently been doing their very best to help Tottenham. Um, you know, we had three big moments, which I have to say, especially, I mean, the two penalty calls were just didn't look even like penalties in the moment. They were like, what? Um, and the, I mean, the Kane goal one, I found it quite interesting. Um, and it's not to be patronising at all. This is actually just quite surprising that the, the amount of people who kind of almost forget the offside rule when it comes to the goalkeeper not being there. I had people on Twitter saying, oh, but it was a defender back. It's like, yeah, you still need two defenders. Whether one of those is a goalkeeper and a defender, you still need two players from the other team between that player and the goal. And, uh, yeah, it was... They created more. There was a couple of moments where I remember, like, Harry Winks, if he just played a simple through ball to Kane, Kane was through and probably would have scored. He kind of hoofed it, which was quite unlike Winks. Winks' passing hasn't been too bad in recent games, but last night it was a little bit off. Um... So I'd say they created more, but as I said, Chelsea never really got out of first gear. And I don't really feel, and even in the first leg, Chelsea kind of had that spell at the start of the game in the first half, had almost wrapped up the tie. Second half just sat back and did whatever they liked. Um, 
I don't think Chelsea will go into their game against Man City this weekend really feeling that they physically have been drained and tested by Tottenham. Um, and that's a shame. And I think that contributed to the way Conte was afterwards. It, you know, it did, it did show the levels between them. But, I mean, you look at the benches last night. It, it, you know, I always hark back to that semi-final against Chelsea when Spurs brought on Janssen and Kudu and Kyle Walker off the bench. And I think Chelsea brought Fabregas, Costa and someone else very good that I can't remember. Um, some other absolutely top mega money player. And last night, you look at the bench and like, their bench was worth probably like 200, 300 million. And Tottenham's bench was kind of like it had, with no offence to the others, but it also had Harvey White, Dane Scarlett, um, Maxim Pascozzi on there as well. <laughs> Three academy youngsters. And, and it's just, that just shows how the Tottenham squad get a few injuries and absences. And it is, it looks so like weak and, and paper thin. Um, whereas Chelsea, Chelsea have got the luxury of just rotating in matches without any real fears about the level of the, the quality that's out there. Whereas for Tottenham, just can't do it. We've seen it so many times. You just, you just can't rotate at Tottenham. And the trouble is, when your first eleven's not even playing particularly well, <laughs> it's like, oh no, there is no alternative. Yeah, Deli Ali was the second oldest on the Tottenham bench last night at 25 years old. There you go. Yeah, it just says it all. And obviously, he's going to have a massive impact when you've got likes of Son injured, Sergio Regalan, Eric Dyer, Christian Romero, Stephen Bergwijn. Obviously, there's what three or four players there who are starters in your best yeah. 11. So that's certainly going to have an impact, but there just wasn't uh, a lot of options for Conte to bring on. Last night, one player who was absent altogether was Tongi on the belly. Obviously, we, this is the first pod we've done since the Markham game, so we've not actually discussed what happened yeah, with his cool. uh, very slow exit uh, when he was substituted, and he did seem to slow down when the boost started. Uh, Conte was asked about Endon Belly in his post-match press conference by Sky uh, for the reason why he wasn't in. The matchday squad, he said it was a technical decision, but before to take the decision, I don't take the decision if I don't consult the club. There is the club line and I have to follow the club line. What did you make of that then? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask me that. I was just saying that riddle of an answer. Um, I, get the, I, I get the impression there's, had been, there's clearly been discussions had between him and an imagined Paratici over kind of what to do with Ondimbele. I mean, personally, I, I don't know whether I thought he'd be out the entire squad, but I didn't expect to probably see him play because you'd think they'd probably protect him in that situation because Sunday was just ridiculous. You know, he's, he's not done the most horrendous thing in the world. He hasn't, you know, taken a Tottenham shirt and set fire to it in the middle of the pitch or anything like that. He hasn't done it. He's just did a very slow walk and then appeared to slow it down even further when the crowd started to boo. Um, but, you know, it came off the back of a, a bit of a weak performance against the team struggling in League One. So I don't think he'd probably earn the chance to play anyway, regardless of the walk. But yeah, those, those comments were a funny one. It was a bit like, I couldn't really tell whether Conte was trying to say that he would have picked him, but the club said no, or whether he and the club decided together 
that, you know, really the club line should be that he should be disciplined in some way for what happened. Because um, I suppose it's a difficult one. I mean, is it a breach of discipline or is it just someone being a little bit daft? I don't know. I don't know where in the club rule book would you find slow walk. I don't know if that would actually be in there anywhere. Um, I, I, it's a strange one. I, I personally I just think all concerned were probably trying to protect him um, just so the crowd didn't flare up at him or he didn't do something, you know, who knows, even something as simple as his name could have been read out in the subs and people might have booed and, and things like that. And yes, I know, you know, you've got to be tough in football, but maybe it just puts a little bit of distance uh, between the incident and Tongi's next performance. But it was very silly. It really was. As as one of Tongi's biggest fans, he absolutely did the wrong thing on the day. and. I'm probably more disappointed that he was so average or poor against Morecambe, a team, you know, 21st in League One. You know, he should be absolutely a walk in the park for him, but it was a different kind of walk, wasn't it, really? <laughs> that got everyone upset. It was, yeah, not great at all. And then the following day, when they published their uh, training video ahead of the Chelsea game, 15 seconds in, Tongi running out to training with Harry Wiggs, who just <laughs> totally different. <laughs> I think he's probably running away from the camera, probably. Yeah, but going back to those comments from Conte, I think I, a couple of us were trying to figure out what he actually meant, and I took it as basically he would have named him in the squad if he if he didn't consult the club. But yeah. we'll, we'll have to wait. That one was while it was it was a question to Sky, but it yeah. wasn't actually during the press conference. It was. It was like one of his post-match ones. So we only found out about it just kind of after the press conference finished. Um, and it's one of those silly things where I think it's on us as well. I had thought before the press conference, oh, I might ask about Tongi. And then you kind of get wrapped up in what Conte is saying about other stuff. And the press conference finishes and you're like, oh, I didn't ask about Tongi. <laughs> and it's kind of like, I wish I had because had the answer been slightly different, we might have got a little bit more. Because, uh, yeah, clarity, no. <laughs> there was none in that answer. It was a bit of a riddle. Yeah, but Conte's having his uh, pre-match press conference tomorrow against Arsenal, so I'm sure yeah. Tongi will definitely be on the agenda and then all eyes will be on that team sheet against Arsenal at 3.30 on Saturday, on Sunday, sorry, when that's published to see if he is back in the squad and if he's playing. So... On the subject of Conte's post-match press conference, then we'll uh, we'll go back to last night, and it's fair to say he, he didn't look very happy, did he, after the game? Uh, what are we 14, 15 games in now, working yeah. at Tottenham looks like it's already taken its toll on him. <laughs> looks like he's had the Tottenham Hotspur slap, doesn't it? That look that managers have where they realise maybe the enormity of what they've taken on or the scale of the, the things they have to fix. I mean, you know, of course, he's a natural-born winner, so he is going to be pretty upset at a defeat, especially to his old team as well. But I just felt there was a little bit more to it. He just he looks jaded already. He, in the match, you know, we, we loved that, didn't we? I know it's a silly thing, but... In the first month or month and a half, seeing him bouncing around his technical area during the game and fighting every ball for himself and, and you know flinging himself about like a bit of a madman, 
it does. It inspires you. It kind of whips the crowd up. It whips the players up and everything. I just felt in the last couple of games, maybe two or three games, I think probably at Stamford Bridge as well in the first leg, he just looks muted on the touchline. He looks like a guy that's a bit like, well, what am I supposed to do with this lot kind of thing? Um, I mean, Nuno kind of had that <laughs> haunted look towards the end as well. And, you know, I don't think we're at the end at all with Conte. You know, it's it's very early. And, you know, I, I put out a piece today kind of speaking about the fact that I know some of the players uh, are worried that if Conte doesn't get what he wants uh, in this transfer window, you know, he, he might walk. But I think what I also added the caveat on that is is that, you know, we're going to talk about this in a bit. The club aren't worried about that whatsoever. They had a really, really positive meeting, they felt, on Monday. And, and Conte said it was a really positive meeting as well. So I, I don't believe that's exactly what it is. I think it's just, it's just had a lot to deal with. A lot to deal with, and there's so much to do. He made a really interesting comment yesterday about, he was asked about, did he understand the fans' frustration at Hugo Lloris not playing? And his answer was quite interesting. After saying that he actually felt Galini had a good game, he said something about, um, something like, to paraphrase, because I can't remember exact quote, but it was along the lines of, of all this, you know, there are bigger situations to be worried about, believe me. And it was like, okay, <laughs> Antonio's got some things to sort. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I said this in my piece as well, that his formation relies so heavily on the uh, the multi-skilled kind of ability of wing-backs being able to defend and attack and create chances, and also on the central midfielders being exactly the same pretty much, or at least one of them. So for that to kind of fail, it really exposes his system. Um, and I don't think it's any shock, you know, we're going to discuss this again further later on, but... It's no shock that Conte, the real three positions he wants in the remaining, what are we, 19 days left of the window? Um, you know, there's no shock that he wants a right wing back, a central midfielder and a striker. <laughs> and it's like, they're the three positions really that are so key to his system um, and he's not getting enough out of those players. So I kind of understand why he's looking a bit like, oh, there's a part of me that, is concerned that we're only, what, 14, 15 games in and he's already got that look about him. You know, we've seen this so many times. We've seen it on Nuno recently. We saw it on Mourinho as he started to realise just like, ugh. and we saw it with Poch in the last season, definitely. It's like, it's quite scary, really. It's what Tottenham Hotspur does to you. You know, I've got white hairs in my beard that I swear I didn't have before I, uh, you know, started... Probably started with the manager search last summer. But, um, yeah, it's it's not good. It's not good to take one of the best managers in world football absolutely at the peak of his powers, having come off a Serie A title win and within 15 games make him look like he's aged about 20 years and wants to be anywhere else. I mean, what's he going to look like at the start of February if Tottenham <laughs> don't give him what he wants in the transfer market and then they lose these important games against Arsenal, Leicester and Chelsea? Uh, it's going to be really interesting. Uh, and I mean, it wasn't just last night where he talked about the problems at the club, that there's bigger situations to worry about rather than, you know, Larice being dropped. He made that perfectly clear one week ago in the return leg where he was saying, basically, the trend bringing in players isn't going to solve Tottenham's problems. It like yeah. runs deeper than that. 
so this month is key for Antonio Conte and Tottenham, but there's a lot, lot of uh, work to do if they are to get back to the previous levels. And I mean, we've already discussed it, but last night, just looking at the teams, I mean, that just showed a huge golfing class between the two. Mm. And Chelsea... Bigger, which is the worrying thing. Yeah. It feels like other people's squads are getting better while Tottenham's isn't improving. And I think that's huge. That's a huge problem. Yeah, I think for Chelsea, I mean, who did they have on the bench? Thiago Silva, N'Golo Kante, Kai Havar, Ziyech, Marcus Alonso. Pulisic on there, yeah. I mean, brilliant bench. And then compare that to Tottenham's. And the one thing you can't afford to do when you, you know you've got lofty ambitions and you want to, you know, challenge towards the top, you can't afford to fall behind because even when you know teams win the Premier League look at Man City won the Premier League last season brought in Jack Grealish 100 million you know other teams Liverpool strengthened Chelsea strengthened and I mean was it the summer of 2018 when Tottenham didn't strengthen when they were in a good position we've talked about it many times uh yeah, they might have, you know, qualified for a Champions League final that very season and finished in the top four. But given everyone else was strengthening, Spurs have fallen behind and that's proved incredibly costly and not, they've got a lot of work to do in the transfer market if they are to, you know, get back on level terms with the likes of Chelsea and that and challenging towards the top again. So... As we are on the subject of transfers, let's talk about the transfer meeting that took place at the club on Monday. Antonio Conte has now made it perfectly clear to Daniel Levy, Fabio Paratici, Steve Hitchin, his thoughts on the Tottenham squad. His plan was always to evaluate that squad. Uh, I think he wanted an extra month to do that. He's now obviously given his findings. And yeah, I think it's, as you said, right wing back, central midfielder and a striker are the three he wants. Then left-sided centre-back is another, but that's one that can wait until the summer. Will he get what he wants in January? (laughs) I hope so, (laughs) because I don't think we're going to have huge one. I still think personally that the summer is the key, key window for everything that Conte wants to do. But I think you can start helping him this window. Um, You know, people are not going to like me saying this. They never do. But I think, you know, well, this is exactly what I reported, was that in Conte's first meeting, uh, the one where he asked for extra time to to evaluate the squad, he was told that finances would be tighter in this window. Um, And, you know, I think Spurs is that same age-old position they always seem to find themselves in of having to get players out the door to try and raise some kind of funds. Because like I said, in the summer, they pretty much anyone they got rid of apart from Foyth, and even that was only about 15 million because of the uh, clause, didn't get much money in through the doors at all. Um, And yeah, I think they need to get some players out the door. And I know that's easier said than done because I don't think suitors are banging down the door for Tottenham's players. And looking at the way they're performing, you can understand exactly why. You know, even Tongi, I think Tongi uh, would probably like to go. I'm sure the club would be willing if a suitable offer came in. But it's where that offer comes from. And, and who can afford his salary? Who can afford the kind of fee 
that it would make it worse Spurs. You know, you know. I think sometimes we see these things right, quite simplistically and people just say, oh, just get rid of him whatever cost. It's like, no, you don't ditch someone that it all in is going to cost 60 million plus for like, what, 10 million or 15 million. That's just not how it works. Don't chuck away someone like that. It almost becomes... I don't know, more cost-effective to just try to get him to play well, you know, because he does have incredible talent. He's just, there's clearly other factors when it comes to Tongi. Um, but yeah, they um, this meeting, from what I'm told, everything I understand about it went really well. For all sides, seemed to be really happy with how it went. Um, the word I keep hearing was is sensible. That's the word I keep hearing about this meeting, that everyone was kind of understood like what they were going to get from each other and what could be done and what was realistic. Um, like I said before, I think the club had identified that um, a striker, a right wing back and a left-sided defender was probably what the squad needed. Conte, I understand, came in with the thinking that he wanted a central midfielder um, and those other three suggestions were pretty much what he, he thought as well. And it was decided that, yeah, the centre-back can probably wait till the summer. That's not. The other three were more of a priority. Um, and like I say, it, it fits the system. It fits the issues that we can see in the system. Obviously, we know Adama Traore is clearly looking like the one they want to fill that right wing-back slot, um, who you know I'm an absolutely huge fan of, with no sarcasm there whatsoever. Um, but. You know, if if Conte can make it work, then that's all that matters. Um, they've still got to get that done. You know, it's. I think it shows you um, the finance issue that Spurs are taking so long to do a deal for someone who is apparently worth around twenty million. You know, and it shows you, you know, there's been talk of potentially a loan with an obligation to buy just to put off some of that finance. Because Spurs aren't getting anyone out the door right now. There's been talk about Matt Doherty going in the opposite direction, although whether it be part of the same deal, I doubt. I'd imagine that would be a separate deal. Um, I'm not that's not 100 percent on that. It's just just kind of my gut feeling. A bit like um even like the Carl Walker Peters for um with Hoybier, it, it was very clearly pointed out it wasn't actually the same deal. It was two deals that just happened to be negotiated alongside each other. I think it's something to do with accounting purposes. I think there's an actual reasoning for that. Um, yeah, I mean, central midfield, we know that obviously Frank Kessie's been looked at quite a lot. January window, I think that would be quite difficult. Um, you know, he's away for, for a start. He's away at the Africa Cup of Nations with the Ivory Coast anyway. Um, and on top of that, you know, if you or I have free transfers in the summer, why, why, why would we move anywhere now? You know, you know, in that summer, let's be honest, life isn't all about money, but the difference between the money you could get as a signing on fee and wages as a free agent, you know, and you're talking about bigger wages for what a five year deal, and it's, it doesn't really make any sense. It's a similar thing with Jesse Lingard. I got told that uh, Tottenham sounded out Jesse Lingard's people. Um, in recent days, but mainly for a summer move because they knew it was very unlikely to get him away this this window. And of course, I know I'm very aware all of that does not help Tottenham right now. The striker one's the most interesting one, really, because you know 
who do you bring in for now? That's the, that's the thing with the striker one. It's like, I kind of feel like Spurs missed their big chance. I think in the summer, had they gone all out for Vlajevic, I think they could have got him. Whereas now you're in this position, I don't really get the impression that he wants to leave right now. I think he wants to see out his kind of um, his season at Fiorentina. It depends who you speak to. You know, I've been told by some people that there's Paratici has a bit of a confidence that he could get him in the summer. Um, but then some of the numbers we've seen involved and some of the, the figures that I've heard quoted, not only for the transfer fee, but also for his wages, I just wonder whether that's a Tottenham kind of transfer, you know, which, you know, I know Spurs fans will hate to hear that, but it's, yeah, some of them, I mean, I don't know, I'm sure you've seen them. There's been like numbers are approaching 70, 80 million for the transfer. Then there's been talk that he's been asking for like 300,000 a week wages. It's like, ugh. you know, that to me, I think last summer the, the plan was to have him alongside Kane. If you're talking about those kind of tr- figures, that sounds to me more like a Kane replacement rather than a Kane kind of supporting act, as it were. So, yeah, I just wonder this window with a striker, whether you look at more of a short-term measure if you've got bigger plans in the summer. But, but yeah, on the actual meeting itself, like I say, it sounds like it was positive. That's why when I've, I wrote about the some of the players being worried that if he's not backed, he might leave you know sooner rather than later. I don't think the club have any such fears. Apparently, it was a really um, positive meeting. Um, but now they've got they've got eighteen days left. Um, it's classic Tottenham. Why is it? Why why are we eighteen days left, and we're in this situation? I think the good thing with having Conte as manager is the fact that. He will just say it as it is. He will say it straight and he'll tell Daniel Levy, Fabio Paratici, Fabio Paratici, he wants this player, this player, this player, this player, this player, this player, they can move on. He will just make it perfectly clear and he will tell them how it is at Tottenham and what needs to happen for oh, things to change. He has, he has. From what I've been told, they've heard a lot of home truths from Antonio Conte, a lot. Yeah, and I think that that certainly needs to happen if you know Spurs are to get back to where they want to, uh, because the past two seasons, you know, hasn't been uh, good at all. But yeah, what are we? Eighteen days away from the deadline now. Still plenty of time. I think in January, the vast majority of clubs do their movement at the back end of the the window. But as we've already seen, Newcastle have brought in two players. Aston Villa have moved there uh, very quick to bring in two players. Uh, I'd rather not talk about one of those who's uh, <laughs> gone to Villa Park. But uh, yeah, so I mean, Tottenham have it all to do now in the transfer window. 18 days, still a lot of time, but all Tottenham fans want players in January the 1st, really. But yeah. that, that's just not always the case. And Steve Hitchin made it perfectly clear on that Amazon documentary just how tough a month January is in terms of bringing in players because mm. not a lot of players available and the ones who you maybe want, the clubs want just a lot of money. Uh, I think this is well, the thing as well, isn't it? We look at Newcastle, we look at Villa, and that's two clubs with a bit of money. You know, Newcastle have got, obviously, we know they're probably like the richest club in the world now with technically with their backing and I think at Villa, I think there's a fair bit of money there as well, isn't it? I think with their owners. 
and you look across the rest of the league and there's not really much movement other than those two clubs. But I just feel it's probably the same at all clubs. You just kind of wonder why would players not lined up? You know, I know Conte himself put off this transfer meeting. I've had a lot of people like question like, why are Spurs having a transfer meeting in the middle of the window? It's like, well, technically partly that was down to Conte. But what I would say is that he did, I think he told us end of December that he'd completed his valuation as he was waiting for the meeting. So yes, I think that meeting probably could have been held a little bit earlier. Um, but I also don't think that was the be-all and end-all in getting transfers. You know, let's not... <laughs> I think sometimes we kind of... This is not the only time these men and women or whatever sit down to talk. You know, they are constantly in dialogue every single day. So they'd be well aware of players they'd want to go for, positions they'd want to go for. This would just be like a, a formal presentation of it all. But... Um, I hope things move quickly now because I think you need at least a couple of new faces coming in. But they've got to be the quality that improves the squad. We don't want another Jensen Fernandez. <laughs> I, I wasn't actually going to mention him uh, <laughs> today, but you know, if Spurs need a central midfielder, you never know. Uh, so I think, as you alluded to as well, with the club's business in the summer, wasn't much money coming in in terms of the outgoings. No. But that's been the case for a couple of seasons now because the previous summer was it Kyle Walker Peters, about 12 million. Southampton paid for him. Year yeah. before that, Kieran Trippier, 20 million. I think I was just having a look, it was Vincent Janssen, about 6 million to Monterey in Mexico. And especially when you've been hit by a pandemic and there's not a lot of revenue coming into clubs. And I mean, this isn't just Tottenham. This is every single Premier League club. Every club has been hit hard by uh, the pandemic. A lot of clubs just aren't going to have a lot of money to play with unless they've got you know, very wealthy owners who will put the uh, hand in the pocket to bring in the new players. I've got a question so, for you. I've got a question go on, for you. Have Tottenham gone from being a club that would get the maximum amount for their players but upset the fans to one who are absolutely atrocious at selling players and hold on to them too long and get barely anything for them. Yeah, it, it looks, it, <laughs> it looks that way. Question. But uh, I just, well, it's, just, it's just my feeling. I think they're actually terrible at it. it. Yeah, it does look that way. I mean, look at when... Christian Eriksen, there was talk of him going to Barcelona and Real Madrid for probably upwards of 100 million uh, one time. And then Spurs almost lost him on the free transfer. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they got was about 17 and a half million in the end from Inter Milan. Yeah. So, yeah. I just had to push out the door. So, do you agree with him? Just they couldn't sell him. And it's the same, you know, you look at someone like Deli Ali now. Deli Ali at his peak. Any club in Europe probably might have bought him for more than 100 million, maybe 150 million when he was absolutely scoring goals with ease. Now it doesn't look like there's anyone even lined up to want to have him, which is incredible. Um, so, yeah, I wonder whether, ironically, for a club that often get bashed by the fans for doing things in the wrong way, uh, yeah, have they become too worried about fan reactions to transfers and they're not selling people? at the right times. I mean, with Ali, I think hopefully they should make a profit on him at some point when he does go, because, I mean, he only cost 
five million. So from a business perspective, it looks, yeah, we made a big profit on him. <laughs> yeah, okay. But then this is what we could have had if we let him go a few years earlier. So yeah, it's I think just... he's a player you lo- I still believe he's a player you loan. I do. Yeah. I think he needs to go somewhere and just get his mojo back and everything. Although, if I'm going to be brutally honest, I still don't really know where he fits into Conte's system. Maybe that left side of a the three in a midfield. Um, but yeah, yeah. Perhaps I've kind of talked myself out of the whole loan argument there. I've actually argued with myself at a space of ten seconds, but yeah. But I mean, if he's not going to play. Are you better just learning him out and doing as Jesse Lingard did at West Ham last season? And if he can, you know, score a number of goals, number of assists, then his price tag raises as a result. And then you can sell him on in the summer if there's more interested clubs. Because I don't think there's going to be a lot of clubs willing to buy him permanently this month. So are you better just letting him go out on loan? Well, Lingard's probably going to benefit from it because he can now get a free transfer and probably have loads of suitors lined up. But yeah, no, in Ali's case, yeah, maybe, maybe. And maybe that's the same with Tongi. Maybe that's a solution to try and drum up summer interest. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I do. I do. I think there's very much restrictions on where Tongi can go, really, and who can afford him. Um because I Spurs won't be, be wanting to pay a portion of his wages or a big portion either, because it kind of defeats the, the purpose of it. So, uh, yes, yes. It's going to be 18 very interesting days to come, and I, I hope I hope Spurs don't do a Spurs, and they actually <laughs> surprise us all with some really interesting stuff happening. Just looking ahead to the next transfer window, I know this one's not done and dusted yet, but as we mentioned, Jesse Lingard, would you be happy if Tottenham signed him? I mean, for me, I think he's a good player. I rate him highly. I think he showed last season at West Ham, you know, how good a player he is, I suppose. In terms of Tottenham, it's just where he fits into the system, really, as well. He's mm, an interesting one. It's like, before he'd gone to West Ham, I'd probably say I was in the camp of, meh, he's okay. You know, I was probably one of those who, you know, do you remember the old, you know, he's a good young player. <laughs> he was like, he wasn't young at all when everyone said he was this up-and-coming player. And so at West Ham, he was very, very good. Um, and, whether, and this is not meant to be disrespectful to West Ham in any way, but I kind of felt almost like he came in as a bit of a big fish in maybe a smaller pond than he'd been used to at Man United. Um, and he did very, very well, but he's kind of gone back to Man U and hasn't really got the playing time. He's, he's really, his appearances have been so few and far between there. I, it helps Spurs out in terms of a homegrown angle, especially if Delhi does go, let's say, in the next window or two. Um, he'll be pushing 30, only by the time the summer comes, I think. Um Oh, it all depends on that money. Because I'd say with a free transfer, you offer big wages, especially someone like him is probably going to be able to do it. Would I pay big wages for him in the summer? Maybe not at that age. Um, it depends what other attacking options you've got. But um, no, I'd probably say no. So we can we can go either side of this on that one then. Yeah, I, I think it'd be a good squad option. But I think you've just got to look at the whole package, haven't you? Like you said, yeah. nearly 30, wages will be high. 
signing on fee will be big. So, yeah, that'll be an interesting one. Uh, just got some Tottenham news coming in now. The FA Cup game against Brighton, Saturday, 5th of February, 8 o'clock kickoff. <laughs> yes. At least it's um, away. Yeah, true. S- still waiting for a 3 o'clock game. I know. When was the last Saturday three o'clock game? Watford New Year's Day, but whether you want to count that, given it's a, a bank it. holiday. Yeah, it's a national holiday. We don't want to ruin our streak there with that one. Right. So. Let's let's get back to uh, Tottenham and the transfer business. Uh, Hugo Lloris, positive yes. news in terms of a new contract. Yes, yes, we've got good stuff. I mean, Conte's pretty much kind of said it himself that he feels it's all going to be done quite quickly and he kind of essentially, not let slip, but he admitted that talks have begun. Um, yeah, and I'd go a little bit further than that and say that talks have certainly begun and from what I understand, Hugo is keen to stay. Um, his very modest demands have been de- uh, deemed reasonable by the club as well. And that should get short, uh, shorted out, sorted out very, very quickly. And, and hopefully, I'll be honest, we could probably all do with announcement on that. I think that would be quite a good one to kind of just kick people on a bit. And, and I think it's uh, it's big not only for the club, but I also think for the summer window in terms of, ah, uh, you know, oh, thank God you don't have to worry about spending huge amounts of money on a goalkeeper as well. Um, so, yeah, I think we'll see that one tied up pretty quickly. And hopefully... Announce sooner rather than later, just so get some good vibes going as well, because he is such an important part. He's often doubted, and I don't really always feel fairly. Um, he is still, for me, up there among the best keepers in the world. You know, probably, probably top ten keepers in the world. Um, and I think people sometimes underestimate matches like last night. Maybe show you how in the big games he's a he's a big game player. He really is. Um, so that would be great. Get that done. I don't know if it will see out his career because keepers have obviously such a, a long um, shelf life, don't they? But certainly Spurs will have had Hugo Lloris's entire prime, I'd say, which is, is great news for Tottenham. Yeah, it's uh, going to be a much-needed signature on the contracts we've seen over the past few years, how you know valuable he is to Tottenham. He just didn't want them to be in that position in the summer where he, he goes for nothing back to France or somewhere else and then Spurs have to spend a lot of money on another goalkeeper. And, I mean, we discussed Galini at the start of uh, the show. Potentially going to need two goalkeepers, you would, if uh, Lloris is going. So, yeah, positive news on uh, Lloris and I think news everyone uh, connected with Tottenham will certainly welcome Let's move on then to Sunday's North London derby. Is this the ideal game to go into now after a defeat? I mean, there's no bigger one, is there really? I I don't know. No, North London derby is never (laughs) ideal. Ever, ever. Um, I mean, at least it's at home. That's a benefit. I think um, it's very important who Tottenham and Conte get back fit and who's available. Um, that defence cannot be the same defence. Oh, my goodness. If that's the same defence, then there's going to be some bigger... I mean, to be fair, I think Arsenal have got some problems as well. Um, 
And it's one of those rare occasions where Spurs will have an extra day on their opponents as well to prepare um, with Arsenal playing Liverpool in the um, their Carabao Cup first leg due to uh, issues, obviously. Um, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I was only joking. I mean, to be fair, yes, if Tottenham can get a win, suddenly it's a big momentum shift. Of course it is. North London Derby win would be a big momentum shift. And we might even see Antonio Conte smile, which would be nice, you know. Um, But in terms of how, I mean, it's different manager, of course, but Tottenham were kind of embarrassed, especially first half at the Emirates. Um, And having not really put in much of an improved performance against Chelsea in these two games, obviously, you're probably not pinning your hopes too much on a being a change. But like I said, I think I think it is on those returning players. I presume it will be too early for Romero. Spurs need to have him back. You need that presence in the back line. I think Eric Dyer, you know, who'd have thought, what, a year ago, year and a half ago, people would be saying how important Eric Dyer is to that defence. But you've missed that kind of slightly older head who talks in the back line and also... It sounds silly, but as a creative force, and that sounds weird, and people are thinking, like, what are you on about? But having someone that can ping the passes around, especially in a system that has wing-backs so high and wide up the pitch, it is important. And I think that's been the big thing with Damon's and Sanchez. Antonio Conte said the other day, and I think he's right, that, uh, that Sanchez improved quite a lot under Conte. However, by sticking him in the centre... You're putting him in a position where he doesn't have the technical ability, the passing range to do what Dyer does. And I think his improvements mainly have come on that right side, uh, which in a way is going to be a shame for him when Romero comes back because that's probably the spot that you know he had. Um, oh, it's North London derby. Honestly, I don't think I've ever gone into a North London derby having any positive thoughts whatsoever. I think I'm just so beaten down. A bit like Conte has been already by Tottenham. That's I'm so beaten down when it comes to North London. It's a bit like going to Stamford Bridge. You just don't expect anything. And if anything happens, it's a bonus. Probably like you and the Merseyside derbies, I'd imagine. Um, yeah, very much so. <laughs> yeah. It, it is. Um, like I say, I think all eyes, whether it's right or not, do appear to have been on Sunday. Um Maybe not for Harry Kane. I think that's something we haven't mentioned and maybe should just before we move off a bit. I thought Harry Kane was quite good last night. I don't know if enough people maybe picked up on that Spurs fans, but I thought I thought he was levels above the other attacking players. He was holding the ball, using it well, looked quite fit and fresh as well. Obviously, he'd only played half an hour and, and maybe scoring that goal gave him a little bit of confidence boost as well. Um but I do think he might be one of the players that goes into Sunday not in a bad way. I think he actually, and you know, we know he's a player that scores against Arsenal. Big loss I have in Son, obviously. Son is a man who scores a lot of goals against Arsenal and gets under their skin quite a lot as well. Um, I'm intrigued to see who fills that gap. I mean, who who would you put in this, either the Son role or a formation change? What would you do? I, I suppose it all depends on Stephen Bergwijn's fitness. Yes. Uh, I think that's going to be key. If Bergwijn's fit, then I'd be going 3-4-3. Three, three. If not, I don't know, to be honest, because I don't think Gia really made his case last night if you no. wanted to go in a 3-5-2. and Nine Hill? 
maybe is it too big of an occasion to put him in? Maybe. Let's yeah. say he's, he's looked bright without maybe creating too much, if I'm going to be really honest. And to be fair to him, he played well when he came off the bench at the Emirates, made things happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, Conte said pre-match last night it was between Lacelso and Brian Hill for that number 10 role. So, yeah. you know, given Gio didn't exactly take a chance, you know, an opportunity could come Brian Hill's way. But... For me, you saw in the cup game against West Ham prior to Christmas. Uh, he's a confidence player, Bergwijn. He needs a goal. Yeah, He got that against West Ham. He started to look a lot better after his goal. So, yeah, we'll find out tomorrow anyway when Conte <laughs> speaks to the media uh, and delivers a fitness update. Are you Just with me on the... I think so. Yeah, I think I am. I think I think I think I do. I think I think I think. Um, if if Bergwijn is fit, it depends how fit he is. You know, being fit to play some part, being fit to start in a North London derby are probably two very separate things. Uh, but just on Bergwijn, I wanted to say because obviously we haven't covered this um, in the podcast that I found it really interesting that we had Ajax have made a bid for Steven Bergwijn. You know, I think it's around 15 million, which is nowhere near apparently what Tottenham are looking for. But I thought it was really interesting that I asked, um, what was I asking about? I asked Conte about, oh, that was it, whether he'd be happy to let Bergwijn go without having another striker to cover for uh, for Harry Kane. And he was very much went in the other direction. He very much sounded like a man that was wanted to keep Steven Bergwijn. Um, I'm sure he wants a striker as well, but in terms of, um, well, he does want a striker as well, but the way he was talking about Bergwijn, it was very reminiscent of, do you remember when Nuno had that kind of big thing about how, what a brilliant player he is and how different he is to anyone else in the squad? Conte pretty much repeated that. He said, we don't have any other attacking options like him who's, he's kind of strong on the ball, but he also has got pace. He can take on a man in a 1v1. He creates stuff. I think it shows you, Conte rates him. And again, he was asked about the um, the problems in signing a striker, and he brought up Bergwijn again in that one. This isn't a, a – oh, that's it. That's the key words he used. I can count on him, the classic Conte phrase that he also used with Harry Winks. So I don't get the impression that Conte wants to lose Bergwijn at all, um, which would also give the impression that if he's fit, I think he would start against, um, against Arsenal. Um, and uh, – He's been very good against Arsenal in the past as well, Bergwijn. I'm sure there was one where, wasn't it he and Lucas both worked their socks off on either side against Arsenal? I feel like was Lucas... It, was it last season uh, so. when Son, Sonny Sonny's got that really good goal? Might have yeah. either been that one or when Toby scored the winner. Yeah, yeah, I think it was the Toby one. I think it was that one. Um, I remember Lucas being superb on one side, essentially playing as like a second left back under Mourinho. And I think, if I remember correctly, Bergwijn was really good on the other flank as well. Because he's a hard worker as well. Um, he, he gives you a bit of everything. It's exactly what I said. If, if anything, I kind of feel that he'd be a great converted wing back. I really do. It's like all this talk about bringing in um, Traore. I understand it because he's strong, he's fast, all of that, and, and people find him very exciting and dangerous to watch. 
But I did I did a piece the other day and I looked at the stats. Bergvine's stats are better than Traore's. They are. <laughs> He's got he averages um, a goal every less amount of games. Um, sorry, yeah, more goals per game, more assists per game. He's actually better than Troy, and Troyores is across 150 games for Wolves, whereas um, Bergwijn is across about 60 for Tottenham, and probably, I'd say for Bergwijn, the bulk of those, maybe half of them have been from the bench as well. Um, I, I should have done it on starts as well. Maybe that's another one to do. But, yeah, I think Stephen Bergwijn as a converted right-back could be really, really good because he gets stuck in, he you know, works hard, gets up and down the flank, creates stuff. Um, you know, we've seen that lovely bit of skill on the touchline um, earlier in the season, didn't he? Was that against Wolves? Was that Wolves? Yeah, Wolves, yeah. yeah. The quick the quick feet, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so you give him that extra space to go down the wing and I think he'd be superb. I think he'd put in better crosses than someone like Emerson, let's say. I don't think Emerson was that bad against Chelsea. Attacking-wise, it's still not there. We all have this thing in the press box. We watch him go in... And like when he's about to take on a man, and you just know, best case scenario, it's probably going for a corner or a throw for Spurs because he's unlikely to beat the man. It's he's so just destroys the Brazilian stereotype of a of, of a Brazilian football. He really does. He's he's very hardworking, very energetic. His defending isn't bad at all. He you can see why he was bought as a Nuno like right back. You can see exactly why he's. Quite solid. He would have allowed Regalon to bomb on in the Nuno system, but as a wing back, yeah. But I mean, that's why I think Bergwijn could be really good there. But maybe that's one to mention to Conte. I'm sure. Not to say that I'd tell him that he hasn't thought of that before, but more more a question to ask him at some point. Um, so yeah, yeah. Sunday, North London derbies always a thrill. Yeah, as ever, we'll have all the coverage live on Football London. Big, big game for both teams. Obviously, Arsenal have top four aspirations themselves and they've done well recently. Uh, I think they lost against Man City a few weeks back, so they'll be looking uh, to put things right. So, Spurs fans will want yes. to remind you they're out of the FA Cup. Yeah, shock defeat against Nottingham Forest. So there's been a couple of uh, Arsenal fans who've been rather quiet this week at work. So <laughs> hopefully they'll be quiet as well come Monday. Uh, Right, I think that's it for today's latest episode of Golden Guest Hot Tottenham. We've discussed plenty on the Chelsea Cup defeat, the transfer meeting, what happens next for Antonio Conte, a new contract for Hugo Lloris, and obviously Sunday's game against Arsenal. So we'll leave it there for today's latest episode. So as ever, thank you for joining us and just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news.